This show is a part of the podcast network of the Walled Garden Philosophical Society, an international community of philosophers and seekers dedicated to the pursuit of truth, wisdom, virtue, and the divine, wherever they may be found. To find out more, go to thewalledgarden.com. Hey there, welcome to another episode of Soul Searching with Seneca. And today we are finally caught back up. I know I had to go back and revisit a few passages there that we kind of skipped over, but we're back into letter number eight and uh, up to verse five. And uh, I just wanted to focus on verse five today because there's a very interesting idea that Seneca gives us in here. And I'm probably going to get quite creative with my interpretation. You know, I've been learning a lot of different concepts and ideas lately, and I'm trying to pull them all together in in a way. Uh, but what I hope is that at the borders of my creative approach, there's something resembling truth and wisdom that you can take away and use in your life. So uh, we'll see. But I'm going to read this and uh, we'll see what happens. So Seneca says the following, quote, Hold fast then to this sound and wholesome rule of life, that you indulge the body only so far as is needed for good health. The body should be treated more rigorously, that it may not be disobedient to the mind. Eat merely to relieve your hunger. Drink merely to quench your thirst. Dress merely to keep out the cold. House yourself merely as a protection against personal discomfort. It matters little whether the house is built of turf or of variously coloured imported marble. Understand that a man is sheltered just as well by a thatch as by a roof of gold. Despise everything that useless toil creates as an ornament or an object of beauty, and reflect that nothing else except the soul is worthy of wonder, for to the soul, if it be great, naught is great. End quote. So, in order to break down this passage, I want to start by talking about the Stoic conception of the universe uh, as it relates to the body, right? Because for the Stoics and, and actually, you know, later on for the, for the Christians as well, you, you could say that, that there's this idea that the body is almost a representation or an image of the cosmos, right? Because what you could think about is that there's these kind of two elements. There's the inanimate, right? Which is kind of the material substance. It's, it's the, the physical realities of our existence, right? So it's the body. Uh, and, and you think that the universe might also have a body, right? Because there's physical things. You can reach out and touch things. You can grab things. Uh, but then there's also the kind of spirit, you might say, that flows throughout all things and animates everything, right? So you look around you and it's not like there's just a whole bunch of material dropped here. It's like things are in motion. You know, you can move, you can think, you know, there are things moving about you constantly. The wind blows through and things move to and fro and and you think, what is that substance that, that animates the entire universe and makes it what the Stoics considered to be you know, this living, breathing organism. And so for the Stoics and for Seneca, you know, you had this body element, right, which is the physical material, but then you also had the spirit, the soul, the mind of the universe, which was moving throughout all things and making everything uh, flow into some sort of uh, fated state of action, 
And the Stoics actually had a, a name or a word for, for this kind of substance that flowed throughout everything and animated everything around us, including ourselves, and they called it pneuma, right? And this was the substance, the spirit that flowed through everything. And what you also have to recognize as well is that they had this word logos, right, given to them by Heraclitus, I believe, a pre-Socratic philosopher and carried on through other philosophers. Uh, but this word is essentially, you know, you can think of it as, as truthful speaking, hearing, understanding, awareness, you know, attention, this ability that we have, this strange ability that we have as human beings to be aware of the things that are happening around us and to almost have an insight you know, what the Stoics would have believed, an insight into the the reason of the universal soul. And so the Stoics believed, and you know, as Seneca would have, that that we had this kind of spark of divinity within our soul, which was this kind of connection to the mind of God. You might think of it like that. I think that's an appropriate way to think about it. It's it's a connection and an understanding or an insight into the reason of the thing that is even bigger than us that we are a part of, which is this cosmos, this living, breathing thing. And so if we bring it back to what Seneca is discussing here, you know, it's almost as if he's trying to bring the inanimate part of the world or the body into perfect harmony with the animate part of the world, which is the soul or pneuma or, or you know, it's, it's our divine spark, our divine connection to the consciousness of the whole and the reason of the cosmos, right? And so he's trying to bring those things into harmony. And one of the ways that he does that is by suggesting that, listen, the body should get what it needs, right? But the soul is the only thing deserving of your true focus, attention, and care. And there's a way that I've come to think about this recently, which I think is helpful. It's helpful for me, and maybe it'll be helpful for you. But you might think that, you know, the Stoics had this idea of external and internal, right? And and I want to throw an idea out here to you. So, you kind of, you look out on the world and you see all of this great complexity. If you don't see the complexity, then you haven't opened your eyes wide enough, right? There's, there's complexity everywhere. You know, you think about all the work that had to go into making the carpet below your, your feet, right? And it's like, oh my gosh, you, you can't even comprehend how complex and amazing and, and, and insane it is that you can look out on the world and you can see all of this stuff happening around you and everything is kind of just in motion happening, right? And so you think, well, you could focus all of your efforts out here trying to explore the world around you. And we do that, right? We're constantly exploring the world around us, trying to figure out what it is, where we are in it and what we are and, and how we're moving through this strange place. Uh, and, and so there is an infinite complexity when you look out, right? But then you think, well, hang on. What if I look within, and again, if you open your, you know, internal eyes wide enough, you'll realize that when you look within yourself, that world is just as vast, as complex, as strange, as insane, right, as the external world which you see when you look out. And so you're kind of this strange being, right? You, you know, you've got this kind of mind, this spark of divinity, which the Stoics would have said, uh, you know, which is kind of in between these two worlds, the what you might call the external world and the internal world. 
And what Seneca is trying to get us to see is that the body should be taken care of, yes, and it should have what it needs, yes, but our true focus, pull it right back into the soul, and here's why. You know, we can bring in the idea of the dichotomy of control brought to us by Epictetus, which is this idea that, you know, you can run around playing games in the external world your whole life thinking that that's going to make a difference, but but if you really think about it, where is the root, the seed of everything that you see in that external world? You know, the seed, the root leads right back down deep into your soul. It's the thing that is giving you inspiration. It's the thing that is allowing you to see, to conceptualize. It's your conscience, right? It's the it's the consciousness that lives within your body, which also connects you to the universal consciousness or to the Stoics, universal reason, right? So you have that spark within you that connects you to that universal reason. And the way that you listen to that is by focusing on your soul, by wondering about your soul. Why is it that I can think? What does that mean? What does it mean that I perceive? What does it mean that I can know something? Can I know something? You know, what does it mean that I see everything moving around me? You know, this is, this is the root of everything that you perceive in your life. And so, you know, you can go to the branches or you can go back to the root and see what you can work on there. And this is such a brilliant idea, right? Because it's basically suggesting that, you know, you don't put the cart before the horse, right? You, you go to where the source of your wisdom lies, and there is where you will actually make a difference in what you perceive in the world around you. And I can tell you that as I've thought about this idea, as I've really tried to uh, go deep into this idea in my own life, you know, the world unfolds around you in different ways. You start to really uh, see things differently and see yourself differently. And it comes back to what I talked about at the start of this whole series, which is, you know, Seneca had this kind of way of talking that makes you think, wow, he really feels at home in the world. And, you know, I have I have never felt more at home in my surroundings or in myself than when I have played with this idea of, you know, the dichotomy of control, focus first on your soul, you know, figure out what you are, who you are, why you are. And there's another important element of the Stoic kind of philosophy and theology that we should talk about as well, which is the cosmopolitan element of, of this philosophy, which basically means that they recognize the, the hyper-connectedness of everything around us and within us, right? We are so connected to other human beings around us, uh, and we are so connected in so many ways to, to the universe, right, that to even imagine that we are separate from the universe uh, is just a silly proposi- proposition, you know, like, like Alan Watts said, you know, we didn't come into this universe, we came out of it, right? We, we are these kind of flowers blooming out of the cosmos. And, you know, that's an interesting thing to think about, right? Because we often think that we are hearing the song of the universe and we don't even realize that we're also singing it, right? We're a part of this crazy thing that's going on. And, Something that I often think about, which helps me to to recognize the interconnectedness of everything, is you think, well, how far do I have to break my body down until I find the substance that makes up my body that also makes up everything else? 
You know, I think it's almost like what they're finding in quantum physics. Not that I know anything about what they're finding in quantum physics, right? But it's like these waveforms, which, you know, to me seems no different to the idea of like spirit, which flows through all things and animates everything, right? It's just that we're now discovering this strange thing that that moves through all things and animates everything. But, uh, but again, I'm probably butchering so much of that, so please don't take my word for it. But, you know, when you realize that... that you know, you are a part of this grand cosmos and that you have this strange spark of divinity within you that connects you to the whole, that connects you to the reason of everything else that happens. It can give you a great confidence to, to, to know that, you know, you have always and will always have what you need in order to move forward and to, to face the potential of your life, right, and to make something of it. And so I love this idea that, you know, the one thing truly deserving, if we could put our focus and our attention and our care anywhere and get the best results from it, it's our soul. It's that spark of divinity that connects us to everything else and allows us to see, you know, how we could best take the potential that lies in front of us and turn it into, right, and turn it into goods of the mind, goods of the soul. Like Sharon LaBelle said in a recent episode, gardens of the mind, right? Gardens of the mind. There's enough complexity that goes on within you that if you decided that you were going to explore that and to wonder about that and to work on that, maybe you could find some real treasure that would be well worth the journey. And I I truly believe that that is the case. I truly believe that is the case, that we we kind of face this world of potential, right? And our job is to figure out how we should best transform that potential into something that justifies the suffering of doing so, right? And and if you start with your soul, I, I believe that that is the true path, the one that does lead to meaning, and true joy, and wisdom, and I think that what Seneca was doing was he was looking into his soul, and he was calling back out to us, to the later generation, saying, listen, it's way better up here, (laughs) that you can do way more up here, you know, there's greater wisdom up here, come on up, because there's nothing more worthy of our attention and our care. So I think that's a really important lesson uh, that we can take away from Seneca. And, you know, the, the I, I don't do nearly as good a job as what I should, you know, to describe this sort of stuff. Uh, but, you know, these ideas, they flow, you know, all throughout our culture. You know, there's, there's, there's echoes of this idea everywhere. And it's something that is, is worthy of at least our our introspection, our, our, our thought and our wonder. So I guess I'll leave it there. I hope you enjoyed this episode and I hope that you go away from it with a few more questions to ask yourself in your own life. I'll talk to you next time.